by chance you're uh, not familiar with uh, the move of the Spirit as the church gathers together, I just want to draw your attention. I know I do this, but it's purposeful. If uh, anyone here and you're not quite understanding what happened with tongue and interpretation or when someone gives an exhortation or uses a gift, I want to draw your attention to the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. We'll talk to you about when the body of Christ comes together, that the Holy Spirit moves to edify and to build the church up, always to bring glory to the name of Jesus, never to bring attention to a vessel, never to bring attention to man, but always glorifying the Son of God and always moving his kingdom forward. This morning, I just, again, uh, it, it, it's amazing to me, uh, the Lord uh, talking about distractions. And uh, uh, so as we get ready to uh, talk uh, about what uh, the Lord has put on my heart this morning, uh, it won't be any uh, surprise to you that the Lord is already preparing our hearts as we uh, continue talking about Jesus' encounters. And we're getting ready to do that. So let's hold up our Bibles. And if you would, let's stand together. Uh, I know if you are unable to stand, I understand. But we're getting ready to read the Word of God. And sometimes uh, it does us good to recognize we're not just reading out of a good book. We're reading God's Word. We're reading the Word of God, which the Bible says is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing the heart and soul, the joints and marrows, judging the attitudes and thoughts of the heart. It's a powerful thing. It's God's alive Word. Amen? So let's hold it up and say, This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing to talk about Jesus' encounters. And this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a turn from where we have been uh, started in our journey on talking about Jesus encountering us and then also talking about how we have been called to encounter our world. Jesus has encountered ours. He encountered it some 2,000 years ago as a babe and lived his life unto his father, doing incredible things, showing that he was the son of God, of course, the most powerful one of him rising from the dead. But there we had the greatest encounter that Jesus came and, and that, as the scripture says, the word became flesh in John chapter 1 verse number four and made his dwelling among us but we also had an encounter with Jesus when we gave our heart to him whenever that was whenever you invited Jesus into your heart that was the beginning of your encounters with God or maybe you had an encounter with God which is possible before giving your heart to salvation though you didn't recognize it there are many times God gives us a God encounter to draw us to the cross, to get us to be at a point where we surrender. But not only that, we've also been talking about that Jesus says in the Gospel of John, uh, the 20th chapter, verse 21 and 22, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. 
And he sends us so that we, now being his hands and feet, would have people that would have a Jesus encounter. Now, the only way that that happens is for us to be living on page with him. And that means we have to live, if you've followed me on Facebook, from time to time I've put a little statement on there that says, live uncluttered lives. We become distracted by a lot of things. And when we become distracted by things or people or stuff, whatever it is, other than Jesus, people can't have a clear Jesus encounter like they want and need. Our world needs to have Jesus encounters. America needs Jesus encounters like never before. And I believe that God is calling the church, his church here, that we are to live in such a way to have undistracted lives that people will see Jesus like never before. That people will see his glory, not us, not a vessel, but see him in us because we are focused in living for him. Amen? But in us starting and talking about Jesus' encounters, we really uh, have started by talking about some people who really had incredible, desperate need and were in desperate situations, haven't we? We've talked about uh, several people. We've talked about the man who was demon-possessed with so many demons that they called themselves legion. We talked about the woman who had the issue of blood. We've talked about uh, Peter, the fisherman, who was uh, incredibly distracted and in a, a spot of, of uh, uh, recognizing that he was utterly sinful before God. But there's another person that Jesus encounters. And I, I want us to, to look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at starting 18, going through 27. And here, we're going to find that Jesus encounters a good man. Now, if the enemy cannot distract us, there is something else that will pull us away from Jesus. And that us feeling that basically, you know, we're a good person. We've never done any harm to anybody. We've never really, uh, uh, you know, I mean, really, I I've never gone out to purposely hurt anybody. I have never really been involved where I've messed my life up in such a way that it's been a disaster. But do you know what? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And I will say, sometimes those are just as uh, hard to come to Jesus as those that we feel are desperately lost. Sometimes we can be so uh, uh, focused on only going after those that are absolutely despondent and desperate that we miss those that are basically just 
doing okay, but their life is still apart from God. They're lost. I don't know if maybe you've encountered one of these people, but Jesus did. And Jesus had an encounter. And I think there's a lot to be said for what Jesus did and how he handled it. Let's read Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. And a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commands, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, who can be saved? But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. The first thing that I want to declare to you as we are talking about Jesus' encounters is there is not a person on the face of the earth that is a lost cause. Whether they are in the deepest desperate situation of sin and apart from God or whether they have been a wonderful, good, moral person all their life, they still are not beyond the reach of an all-loving God who can reveal himself to them of their need for salvation. Praise the Lord. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, how is it that Jesus responds to this one? Well, first of all, it's interesting. The rich uh, ruler was a good person. Now we're going to define what that means. Because it's not necessarily... Uh, the questions Jesus did not ask or ask of the man, it's what Jesus said that was important. See, the man started off and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus lays it out clear for him. Because, see, the rich young ruler came and said, good teacher. He recognized that Jesus was good. And so he said immediately, good teacher. But Jesus, interesting enough, looked at him and said, there's no one who is good but God alone. He made the statement already, you have need of God. Because no one is good before God. Not one. 
See, this is the thing the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat, no matter how what we look and <clears throat> what we see in the lives of people are possibly consequences. Consequences of maybe one who has lived a life where their sin has taken them further into destruction. But understand, even those who look good on the outside need to be redeemed on the inside. They need to be redeemed. And so I believe this is just as important as we are encountering people that Jesus has in your life because not every person you run into is going to be a, an addict or in an addiction or in some sort of a crisis because of moral uh, immorality. You are going to run across that person, that one that has said, you know, I've been a good person all my life. I've not harmed anybody. I've been, I love my kids. I love my wife. What do you do when you encounter one of those people? And Jesus, I believe, sets the standard when he first says, there's no one who's good except God alone. No one. I think honestly with that statement, because of our own human uh, knowledge of where our heart goes, he knew what Jesus was saying because we know and are aware, even though we try to deny it, even things in our heart that have not yet come out. Things that are in there and that we don't want to talk about, but Jesus holds the person, the good person, accountable for those things in his heart. When he says, there's no one who is good, not even one. But do you notice also that the uh, commandments that Jesus mentions, do you notice he starts with do not commit adultery? He's, he's leading just like he did with the woman at the well. You remember in John chapter 4, there was a, if you don't know the story, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. And at the well, he begins to talk to her and she says to him through the midst of the conversation, I don't have a husband. He says, right, the point is you've had five and the person you're with isn't your husband. And like that with the rich ruler, Jesus was making a point, I believe, when he started with that commandment, you should not commit adultery. See, he could have started at the top of the list. We're going to talk about what that number one commandment is in the second point, because I believe it's very significant. He says... Uh, there's no one who's holy but God. And see, here's really the problem. How we define good and how God defines holy and good are entirely on a different plane. We have no idea what real goodness is. We have no way to grab a hold of what really it is to be good because there's only one and that's God. 
He is the only one that is truly good without meaning. As I said in class this morning, uh, as we were in the uh, Sunday uh, Connection class, uh, that, that uh, there is no yin or yang about God. He's white. He's holy. When I say white, I mean he's without sin. He's pure. Hallelujah. Without him uh, or, or with him, there is no shadow, no turning. Hallelujah. So uh, I think that it is amazing that Jesus did not get into a debate with this person about how good he was. I want to caution you. In our encounters with Jesus, be led of the Holy Spirit. If you get into just a word debate where you're arguing with somebody, the very thing in which you're maybe wanting to do to draw them to Jesus will push them further away. Be led of his spirit. I believe Jesus has such incredible example here of what we should, should do. First of all, unless there is a hunger for God, there is no words you can say to draw people to Jesus. Only he can draw people. So that's the first thing we need to understand. And Jesus, what again he doesn't do, says sometimes more than what he does, Jesus did not have a debate with the person. He didn't say, no, you didn't do those things. He simply said, okay, and he moved on to the next thing. Now, here's the other thing. The Bible says in Psalm 53, 2 through 3, God looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there was anyone who understands, who seeks God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who is good, not even one. So when Jesus talked to the, the rich ruler and said, there's no one who's good but God, he confirmed the scripture. This is something, though, Jesus did do. He looked at that young ruler and he said one thing. If there's something that Jesus has the ability to do because he is the Son of God. He is the one who spoke the world into existence. The Word of God says he was there when God was creating the world. He himself and the Holy Spirit were involved. And so when this rich ruler was speaking to Jesus, Jesus sees the one thing in his life. Jesus sees what it is that he has need of. Jesus sees the sin. And we talked a little bit about this too. Sometimes we don't see our own sin. We are sometimes so blinded by our uh, human nature 
that again, we start to consider ourselves, especially after coming to Jesus, that we're a pretty good person. What I would like to encourage us is that us who start with the blood of Jesus and the cross will only stand before Jesus with the blood of Jesus and the cross. It is not going to be because how wonderful we've become after the blood has been applied. It is still by the blood, by the blood, hallelujah, by the blood. Jesus is able to see the sin. And Jesus calls out the one thing, or what I believe really, when he calls this thing out in this uh, young ruler's life, the things. Although it says it was one thing, see, when you become a breaker of the law, it says you're guilty of it all. That's what the Word of God says. If you become a, a person who breaks the law, you're guilty of breaking the law. And so everyone has been held uh, accountable and silenced before God. Jesus did see the sin. The greatest commandment, the first commandment, is the one that Jesus didn't mention. He didn't start with that one. I think it's a reason. Because that was the very thing that was the issue with this man. See, he had something that we're going to talk a little more about. And that was, the Bible says he was very wealthy. And that very thing that God blessed him with became an idol. And he loved it more than he did God. He loved it more than wanting to know God, wanting to serve God. And it was that one thing that kept him from being obedient to God. And make no mistake about it, that one area was not just one sin, but he had committed, as all of us do, a plethora of sins because of it. Because when we get distracted, when we get uh, apart our heart from the Lord, our heart takes us to places we don't even understand we're going. And so Jesus did see this thing. And the Word of God says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That was the commandment. And by the way, how important is that command? Jesus said, that one and love your neighbor as yourself. All other commandments hang on these two. So how do you think the guy was really doing? Jesus pointed out the one thing that was the distraction. And then he says to him, if you will give that, to me, I will provide treasure for you in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. How sometimes the very one thing is the thing that God asks for. And, and here's the thing. 
it's different for all of us. What is the one thing for one person will not be for you. And what is the one thing for you may not be what the other person is struggling with. See, uh, we are all unique before the Lord, and I believe all of us, uh, God knows that very thing that is needed to be given up. Sometimes it's not necessarily a possession. I know for me, uh, you know, the beginning of the process again of me uh, forgiving in my heart. When I first came to Jesus, that was the, the biggest obstacle for me. I wanted to hold on to my hate. And I'm going to be honest, I hated my dad. There's, there was no two ways about it. It was hate. And I wanted to hold on to it. I didn't want to let it go. I wanted to see him suffer like I suffered. I wanted to rub it in his face any time I chance I got. And God put his, his finger on that one thing. I thought it was going to be just for that moment. <laughs> Only to find that when I yielded to God, it was the beginning of a process of God saying, now that you've given me that, let me continue to peel off the onion of all the other stuff <laughs> that goes along with it until real healing came. My point is just this, to come follow him, come follow me, God does require for us to lay down our sin, our self, just like he required this man that came after him, and Jesus said, there's one thing. See, Matthew, again, this is the, the scripture, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That next verse, 38, is where Jesus said, and the second one is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, these two commandments... Are, are the ones that the others hang on. All of the others, these two are the ones. Because see, if you're doing these two, the, the others are there. And if you're not, there's all kinds of issues. Well, as we're looking at that, sometimes uh, when we're reading through the Word of God, we think, oh man, this is impossible. I might as well give up. And in the natural, that's true. But thank God, we're not dealing with someone who deals in the natural. We're not dealing with someone who doesn't know the desperate situation of our hearts, our pride, all of it that comes with it. God knows what it is to heal that. So it brings us to our third point. That is this, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It's possible with God. What we think is impossible, the disciples said it, they said, who can be saved? 
Peter went on, uh, if you read a little bit further, and said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We get so hung up on everything. And just so you know, Jesus said, you've not left anything that you won't receive not only in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. God will be no man's debtor. God will not be a debtor to anyone. And, uh, you know, when I say that, you can snow a lot of people and you can even fool your mom sometimes, but you can't fool God. You can't fool him. But he states, what is impossible with men is possible with God. I want to talk about this because this is a very important thing. He saw the one thing, and it says in verse number 24, Jesus looked at him and he became sad. He became sad and he went away. Did he come back to Jesus? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It leaves us, only eternity will tell. But it says that he went away sad. For him, it was because he had been blessed with so much. For him, it was because the scripture said he was very wealthy. But unless we begin to focus on this issue, may I remind all of us that if you live in this great country that I love, And I do love America. You and I are richer than 85 to 90 percent of everyone in the world. How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're distracted by many things in our great nation. We look and we look on the scale of the ladder saying, well, look, he's got more than me. I've got more than him. We look. We have not a clue what God's talking about. God is talking about things that that go into the inward working of the heart. And he saw what was in this man's heart. So I, I just say that to remind us that I believe... The reason we are seeing so much uh, difficulty in the Lord moving in our great nation is we're distracted by everything. We are so overwhelmingly blessed that we just have our mind on everything other than God. And we need to, it does us well to say, Lord, purge me. Now, now hear your pastor's heart. Because this is not an axe to grind that we all go and sell everything and become paupers. God says that he is the one that empowers those. It literally says he gives the ability to create wealth. It's the purpose behind it. It's the attitude of heart. It's holding it with a hand that is open before God, saying, God, it all belongs to you. All 
all of it belongs to you. I am simply a steward of what you place in my hand. And God, whatever it is, by the way, his word says, if you'll be faithful with that, he'll then bless you with more. But why would he pour more into a lap and a life that is already distracted by the little they have? The riches of the kingdom of God far outweigh the things of this world. The things of this world are perishing. All of it's going to be burned. Just let it go. Now, I say that not to say that we should be foolish and advocate our stewardship, because until he comes, we are to be stewards. But just don't get hung up on it. Now, here is the thing that I want to talk about, because in my study, uh, I, I hope that I don't upset anybody's apple cart here. But I'm sure if you are here, that maybe you have heard the story of the eye of the needle before. Well, I, have tell, I, I will tell you that in my research, and I researched as well as I could, this has been something that has been brought out, especially in the last couple centuries. But I will tell you that apart from the 9th to the 15th century, it was never a fact. They cannot find historically, factually, that there was an eye of the needle in the gate of Jerusalem. So what is Jesus talking about? Because how many of you have heard that story, either in Sunday school or somewhere else? Now, it's a wonderful story. Is it a great analogy? Yes. The analogy is about having to unload all your stuff before you can get to God. Now, spiritually, do we have to do that? Yes. And again, as I say, sometimes it's our own sin. For me, it was hatred. And I had to be willing to unload it and give it to Jesus. But as I've studied this, I'm just telling you that they say that it is quite possible that the eye of the needle in the actual factual case did not exist. So what is Jesus saying? Have you ever heard Jesus talk about in Matthew 7 where he says, remove the log from your eye and not the speck from your neighbors. Now, how many of you have ever had a log in your eye. We feel like that, don't we? But honestly, what is it? It's probably something so small, you can't even see it with the naked eye. So what is Jesus doing? He's using what is called the hyperbole. He's using some figurative amount of speech so that you can see how impossible without God you are a hopeless case. But with God, all things are possible. It literally is saying that 
It is impossible for that camel to go through an eye of a needle unless God does something supernaturally. (laughs) And you know what? It's impossible for any man or woman or child to come to Jesus unless God does something supernatural. We need to understand that. We think we've become so good at saving people. We can save no one unless Jesus moves, unless he brings them to the point where they come to him. It's a miracle of God. I'll say it again. Salvation is a miracle of God. He removes your old heart. Your heart of stone. He says he gives you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. All of a sudden, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I cared. (laughs) And before, I never did. Now, you, you may think that's funny. Jill knows part of how hard I was. When I was in eighth grade, My solution to flag football on the intramural concrete outside because I was not the fastest runner. See, uh, when you're playing flag football, everybody knows this play. How many of you ever played flag football? How many of you know? Unless you've got a lot of speed, it's a fool's game. It's just true. I mean, I could run after people all day long and never pull a flag. I've always been a distance runner. I've never been the fastest person out of the block. I hated flag football. (laughs) And I remember in eighth grade, my solution was, and I was serious, we're not playing that way anymore. I I stood there and said, if you're playing with me today, whoever gets the ball, I'm tackling on the concrete. I didn't care. What did that come out of? I'm telling you, it came out of a hard, hateful heart. I just didn't care. I did not care. I didn't care about me or others. But when I got saved, and I have to be honest with you, at first it annoyed me. I said, why am I caring? (laughs) I mean, it's really something. All of a sudden, God had taken that heart out. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it is. It's It's like the Grinch, if you ever saw it. You know, he's up there and he says, you know, all of a sudden, I care. What is the deal? (laughs) The point is this. What is impossible with man is possible with God. God does not get hung up on these things. This is my last thing I will say. What does it take for someone to be saved If you crack your heart as just as slight as a needle, 
God will reach out for you. If you crack your heart as small as the eye of that needle, hallelujah, his spirit will grab hold of you. He'll save you by his blood. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what that means. That means that it's possible for your neighbor. It's possible for your husband, your wife, your family member. It's possible for that person on the job, whether they're the hardest person, the person that needs to be redeemed from horrible sin, or whether it's that person that has been a wonderful person all their life, but they do not love God with all their heart. God knows how to save them. Bow your head with me. My point is this. Jesus wants you to have an encounter. He wants you to have an encounter, first of all, with him. And again, as I've said, maybe you've had that encounter, but you've not given your heart to him. Maybe God has encountered your life several times. You haven't surrendered as in calling upon him for Savior and Lord. I'm going to ask that if there be anyone here, that's you. You know that you've never had a real, genuine salvation experience where your sins are forgiven and Jesus comes into your heart. If that's you, but you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart today, you're hearing him, you're feeling him pull your heart, and he's saying, will you give your heart to me? He's wanting to be that light. He's wanting to be that guide. He's wanting to be your God. So I'm going to ask, is there anyone here by chance that you would say, Pastor Brian, I need to give my heart to Jesus. Would you slip your hand up right now? Anyone here? Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Now, I want to give some instruction. But before I give that instruction, I want to ask another question. How many of you are hearing the voice of the Spirit speak to you today? on maybe somebody, whether there be that person that is what we would call good or whether it would be someone that's lost in deepest of sin, but God is speaking to you today and saying what is impossible with men is possible with me. And you're saying, God, I know is speaking to me and saying, I need to believe, I need to pray for them that they will be saved. Would you slip your hand up? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now, every hand that went up in this place, Father, empower them 
Should it be that they have contact with this person, I pray you, by the power of your spirit, would move in them. Give them the words to say. Give them, Lord, the keys to reach this person because you are working in them. And do that miracle of salvation. I pray for every person that has somebody that they're thinking about. God, reach them. Save them. In Jesus' name I pray. Now I'm going to ask, if you raised your hand, I will not embarrass you. My heart is not to embarrass you. But if you raised your hand, I want to pray with you. I not only want to pray with you, I want to give you a Bible and give you a book to start you on your journey. I'm going to turn my microphone off, but I'm going to ask that you come and pray with me in a moment. You say, Pastor Brian, why? Well, maybe this is a great time to explain to you. Why do I make this uh, such a, a point? Because Jesus said, if you do not confess me before men, I cannot confess you before my Father. See, this is what I will say. If all we're wanting is a religious experience, we can have that anywhere. There's lots of religion around. Religion will kill you. But relationship with Jesus Christ sets you free. So I ask you to come because I will say, if we, if we can't stand for Jesus among people that have been saved at the cross, if we think we're going to stand for him once we go out into the world, it just isn't going to happen. The world will chew us up. So I ask you humbly, if you raised your hand and you meant it and you want to come, I'm going to turn my microphone off right now. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm simply going to pray with you and give you a Bible and a book to start you on your way. If you raised your hand, would you please come?